HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Terkel, and today's kind of just an excuse to hang with two of my favorite people in the industry, <laughs> Pam and Jose of Shea Jose, and that much more. Um, it's funny, I've known the two of you for a very long time, randomly. Um, yep. I met Jose. Well, I don't know if we even really met at Clio in 2004. Like, I knew of you, and well, I was like in the kitchen, but yeah. I, was, I was a very quiet person then. I mean, I'm sure we, we saw each other there, but, you know, most probably I was, like, reeling the shits and overworked yeah. and, and uh, just, you know, focusing on my cutting board and whatever I had on the stove, you know. And, Pam, I met you at that, that instant where you decided to leave design and start looking in the food. Wow. So, I guess one of the first people that I met, um, yeah, I was working at Room for Dessert, and I think you walked in one day and took some photographs, and I also happened to be sort of an avid photographer before jumping into a kitchen so we kind of hit it off right away so yeah you've you know you've known me since since i've moved to new york pretty much and i don't want to date ourselves by you know people trying to figure out how old we are but (laughs) that was a while ago yep things have been moving and shaking and now you're at a really really cool place in life where there is shea jose can you tell me a little bit about what it is and where you came from well, um, we started Che Jose um, about a, about a year ago, and and we started it because we were at the moment at the restaurant we were working at. We got to work with really amazing foragers and farmers, and you know later on these guys became our our really good friends. And and Pam and I started asking ourselves, why are we not showcasing this product a little bit more? You know, why 
why are we hiding the vegetables under a piece of protein? Why why are we dedicating you know out of the whole menu just one plate to vegetables? And and that's why you know we decided to to call what we're doing vegetable forward. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that that you know we, we're vegetarians or we're vegans. It just means that we're gonna try to you know we, we try to put the 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 vegetables at the very forefront of uh, of the meal every single time we do a, a Che Jose event. So you think vegetarian cuisine gets a bad rap because that entree for years has always been a pasta with mm-hmm. like cheese on top <laughs> of it or like steamed vegetables. Um, for sure, are, yeah. Are there vegetarian restaurants or vegetable-focused restaurants out there that are forward-thinking? I, I mean... mean <clears throat> go for it. No, go for it. The only one that I... Well... There are some that I'm aware of, of course, Ubuntu from Napa Valley that I never got to go to, but heard a lot of amazing things about. Um, and then, of course, Larapège in Paris, which, um, you know, one of my favorite restaurants on the planet. He prepares a meal comprised mostly of vegetables, um, and now there is a little bit of protein, but his vegetable preparations are gorgeous. See, I like the word mostly because... You're not trying to beat people over the head with vegetables. You're just trying to highlight, trying to showcase these things. And sometimes maybe if a little protein helps, it helps. But it's about the vegetable being first and forward. Absolutely, yeah. And what are some of those vegetables that you think have gotten, you know, pushed underneath this blank steak, you know? Well, I mean, uh, for me, it's, it's, you know, that that trio, you know, that that is part of the of the Meropois family, you know, uh, carrot, celery, onions. Um, are vegetables that you know? I just like to say they're they're kind of like you know misunderstood to a certain extent. You know, like they they get added to stocks, they get you know boiled the hell out, they get you know burned, and and I don't think a lot of a lot of people out there are looking you know at an onion um, or a carrot or a celery and being you know seeing how beautiful that is. So. At Che Jose, we try to like focus on those like quote unquote misunderstood vegetables, you know, and try to just bring them to to the highest point that we think we can achieve by cooking them or manipulating them here and there. Yeah, I mean, I was glad you didn't start off with not weed and sell to <laughs> some more esoteric because I know I've had those vegetables on your plates as well. But sure. how how do you change a carrot or change the perception of a carrot to be something other than what we know as a carrot? Well, um, I mean. The the way that we when we started at Che Jose um, about a year ago, like we just started, you know, cooking vegetables the way that I've always been told to cook vegetables. You know, I, I've been cooking for nearly eleven years now, and and you know, you glaze them in butter or you roast them and and you simply serve them. And then eventually, we just we we you know we started realizing that that wasn't enough. And then we move on to from that to like start treating them like like you know cooking them like a piece of meat. And and like that, you know, we develop uh, one of uh, I think it will be called like one of our signature dishes, which is like the whole roasted onion uh, serving in its onion juices with uh, various greens and uh, bacon breadcrumbs, and uh, and so we started thinking like that and and creating more vegetable preparations like that, and then you know maybe like four months ago, like we started thinking more deeply into it, and and we started realizing that although we're cooking vegetables like a like a piece of protein, we weren't treating the vegetable itself like a piece of protein. And by that I mean like 
I mean, we were roasting it or we were blanching it or, or treating it like a piece of meat in that way, but we weren't going all the way. We weren't taking care of it all the way. And and right now, we, for example, like we have uh, a confit carrot dish. And by trial and error, um, you know, we, we finally realized, no, like the carrot has to be tempered before it goes in the oven. The carrot has to be cooked just like it, you know, just like meat, without bubbling under 200 degrees in the oven for many, many hours. And for me, like the most important step, rather than just taking it out and like you know cooling it in the, in in the fridge or outside or whatever, is actually resting it in its own fat and letting it come down to temperature. So right now we're trying to create vegetable preparations in which we're treating the vegetable, or at least we're putting the emphasis. Uh, on every single step of the process just like you will do with meat anything from like marinating to to cooking to resting to carving to serving on the plate yeah i mean for years it feels like there has been one process to make vegetables and like i said before you know a steamed vegetable plate or a roasted vegetable plate and why can't it have this many more steps to it um and then Going back to your childhood, you know, you were born in Puerto Rico, and yep. um, you mentioned to me that your your godparents had a wonderful garden, and you loved the vegetables out there. I mean, those were unmanipulated. What was so special about your attachment to those vegetables? Well, I mean, it's something that I didn't didn't actually came to realize until you know many 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 years later. But uh, my my mother used to get really jealous of my godmother because I used to tell my mother when I was a very little kid, but how come this marinara sauce tastes so much better than yours, you know? And, like, later on, many years later, my mom was like, dude, like, what the fuck? Like, you made me cry so many times, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I, obviously, I felt terrible, but, you know, you know, many years later, I realized that it was because the marinara sauce that my mo- my godmother was making was was out of fresh tomatoes picked from the garden and and just like everything else like you know my my godfather will spend you know countless hours just like you know tending to plants in his garden it was like his favorite hobby and he will bring all this fresh produce and and he will cook that it will get cooked that same day and it will get served that same day and that's the only thing that i can explain why you know her plates tasted so so good so now which carrot do you use do you use the best freshest carrot to make your confit or do you use just any old carrot um well it's i mean that's that's a little i use only you know market carrots and i try to you know showcase the best carrot that i have available um obviously i don't use really large carrots because although i feel they're sweeter um, they will just take way long to cook, and I, I don't I don't have the facilities to <laughs> you know have carrots cooking for ten hours yeah. you know, um, so I'm trying to choose carrots for on you know based on size and based on flavor at the market, uh, so that that's what we do at Che Jose, and I think that's something that has to do with with uh, just feeling good with ourselves about the product that we serve that we're supporting. Um, I honestly, like another part of my brain also says that although we don't do that at Chez Jose, I think anybody at home could also do this kind of preparations, you know, like I think anybody at home could go to the market or even go to the supermarket. And as long as you take care of this product as much as you want and can, like you can also come up with an amazing product as well. Yeah. I don't think what we're doing is anything special, you know, it's just. Uh, See, no, I beg to differ. It, It certainly is. 
much more special than you lead on to be. Um, it, it's funny, too. You talk about the simplicity and it's kind of like transparency of cooking. And, Pam, you kind of backed your way into the more molecular gastronomy side of cooking. So you didn't necessarily see that aspect first. Sure. Um, I think, you know, my first job was with Will Goldfarb, and that was, I, I guess you could say, entirely by accident. Um, I didn't really know. I mean, I jumped into the food field from design, and I didn't really... I just sort of jumped into his kitchen. Um, and while it was molecular-based, um, and to some extent so was my next job uh, with Sam Mason at Taylor, um, I think it sort of opened my eyes creatively. Um, but I think I really found my stride when we um, spent a year in Europe and um, we worked on at places all that had their own gardens um and i think that um that experience sort of heightened both of our appreciations for vegetables and for the care that goes into growing and uh, and just you know the the raw products themselves like like the the way that i um conceptualize anything these days is not by a technique or some sort of esoteric flavor combination it's by seeing something really beautiful that I really want to work with and and then trying to make something out of it that's respectful of that product that doesn't change the shape or form too much but that like somehow is relatable back to the original beautiful product that I see either from our friend who's a farmer or you know at the market well I mean let's talk about those stages because the you know all of them were pretty extraordinary um El Cilar de Canroca. Um, then after that, you went over to Belgium. What is it called? In the Wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, how did those gardens differ? I mean, uh, what did you see in those and what did you take away? Um, well, uh, so those were like the last, you know, we stashed at four restaurants. The very first restaurant that, that we stashed at, which was El Casals, um, I mean, Oriol, Oriol Rovira is, is most probably, and I don't even think he knows it yet, but he he's my second biggest mentor. And, and he teach me, you know, two very basic principles. And one of them is called Tenkat Circles. And, and Tenkat Circles just means closing the circles. Uh, this guy owns his own farm. His fam- he's, he's been on, it's been on the family for many hundreds of years. I mean, I think they can... And correct me, Pam, if I'm wrong. Yeah, like they can trace a Rovira in that land, you know, back 200 years ago. And so the family owns the hotel. The family owns a restaurant. They they also own a Lobrador, which is where, where they make all the sausages and embutidos. And, and one of the brothers takes care of uh, the vegetables. And he's like, you know, it's not a matter of control. but And it's not a matter of also producing the best product out there it's a matter of everything as long as we produce it ourselves we're creating a very unique product because nobody else has that product out there we're not saying it's the best we're saying it's very unique and and that was like a complete different approach that i knew of chefs that have farms that say no i want to control like how the vegetables grow and i want to control the circles he was like no i just want to I just want to be able to see them and have them rather than have like absolute control over them. And and that philosophy right there like just changed the percept the perception that I had of vegetables and and you know farm quote unquote farm to table food. 
And and the second thing that he told me was, hey, you know what? Follow your own train of thought. At that moment, I was coming off uh, a three-star Michelin restaurant in the city, uh, which I learned you know, way more than I thought I would and, and work under one of, you know, the biggest mentor I ever have, uh, Jonathan Benno. Uh, this is that per se. Yeah, per se. Yeah. And, uh, and I think Oriol saw that and being, being like a farmer, a very simple, you know, guy that he is, he's like, stop chasing stars, stop chasing stars and, you know, just follow your own train of thought. And, and that right off the bat, I mean, although we worked at some amazing restaurants, including Le Chassagnette in south of France and in the Wolf in Belgium, like Oriol, like really sort of like set the standard for the rest of all these restaurants that either had farms or were working very close with, you know, farmers by just telling me those two things. Well, we're going to take a quick break and follow step number two and see where that train of thought has brought you today. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. You know, there's no more telling aspect, no more revealing virtue of a group of people having evolved in a lovely way than how they feed themselves, how they entertain, how they put food on the table, what they put on the table. Heritage Radio Network provides the clearest evidence that there's hope for us yet. Heritage Radio's like Fairway Market in that we both care deeply about what you're having for dinner tonight. Heritage Radio Network is not just about food, though. Every time I tune in, I learn something about things other than food, too. Architecture, design, stuff like that. But from where I stand, I still say, if you can't eat it, what's the point? For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Here today with Shea Jose. That is Jose and Pam. Thank you again for being here with me today. Um, what's been so fascinating is not just talking about you know how you learned about food and how you brought that along on your journey, but you know truly vegetables as proteins, not as a supplement, not as you know taking the place, but thinking of them as the same thing in, in, in the cooking process. Um, and then, you know, being over in Europe and being exposed to all these amazing gardens, staging, you know, uh, what did you bring back to New York? And I don't mean like ingredients smuggled in your suitcases, but what kind of ideology, what kind of thoughts did you bring back? Um, that's, a, that's a very interesting question because uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know exactly how Pam felt, but I felt lost when I came back from Europe because, you know, it, it was... It was a whole different thought that that I ever been exposed to. It was a whole different way of producing food. It was, it was, it was you know, most of these places were actually family owned, and and it was part of the family. It wasn't a business, you know. It, it was, you know, this is what we do for a living. We we live in this restaurant or very close to this restaurant, and uh, and when I, you know, it took me I, honestly, it took me like a couple of years to realize what I've learned in Europe. Um, I think one of the things that I learned over there is, uh, although, yeah, I met many, many amazing uh, European cooks, um, I was always trained to believe that European cooks will cook me around in circles. And then when I moved to Europe, I was like, no, actually, American cooks are actually really good, too, you know. 
And so I came back with a little bit more confidence being like, hey, I actually, I've seen stuff. I, I know all this stuff, but it took me many years. I, I came back a little bit confused, to be honest with you. You know, I'm going to switch the conversation in a second because, Pam, when you came back here, I know the restaurants that you worked at, and we can talk about those in a second. But also, culturally, you guys touch so many different places. What kind of culture did you bring back? What ethnicity? Because you jumped into uh, places where it was like American cuisine again. Sure. I mean, I guess culturally, of course, um, we were all over the place in Europe. Uh, I started out at Els Casals, which is in Catalonia Profondo, which is like the middle of Catalonia, where, you know, I speak Spanish, but I thought, okay, I speak Spanish, I can go there. And um, <laughs> I get there, and the first thing they tell me when I get into the car with the family that I'm staying with is, we don't speak Castellano, we only speak Catalan. So we are Catalan, we are not Spanish. I mean, it, the ad- identity there is very strong. And so it, it was a little jarring at first, you know. I felt lost there. <laughs> you know, I, I, I felt culturally speaking like it wasn't what I would have, you know, this was my first time spending an extended amount of time in Spain. It wasn't like what, you know, you had envisioned Spain to be. You know, I was in a rural atmosphere and in Catalonia, you know, but it was gorgeous all the same. Um, in Belgium, we, I mean, the people were incredibly friendly. Um, they were very proud of their beers, of, of their, you know, just of the, of, of what they have to offer. And I think of the, their identity. Yeah. I think they were probably the most welcoming group of people that we spent time with in Europe. Um, and the place where we worked in the Wolf was probably the most beautiful place I've ever worked at. Um, it was, you know, on the border of France, um, the Flemish side, the west side, and we lived in the middle of farm fields, and uh, it was, it was breathtaking, you know. Um, and I think that that culture of, you know, like he, the chef there, Kobe, had relationships with his neighbors, and you know, every morning they would six in the morning they would go collect the ingredients it wasn't like you know some big delivery truck would show up and drop off you know boxes from you know who all all parts of the world they had relationships with the people whom whose products they served every day and for us that's super important like the reason why we do serve some of the products we serve is because of our relationships with those people the dairy and the butter is all from a small farm upstate whom our friends have become friends of ours and most of the vegetables used to be from our friend Dan at the Lone Acre. Um, so I think that that sort of philosophy of having a personal relationship with your producer is something that we witnessed there and that we brought back here. And that isn't that common these days. I mean, it's really easy to place a phone call and place an order in a restaurant and have it arrive at your door the next day. Also, I, I think, you know, now that I think about the question more in depth, like, you know what I what I brought back, and I said that I was confused. Is is you know I brought back an identity crisis, because you know we work under these amazing chefs, and they all had this cultural heritage that they were extremely proud of, and it showed in the food. And the most amazing thing is that the food was amazing, and they were all so different from one to another. So. We brought back, like, I mean, at least I brought back this this feeling of, like, so so what am I, you know? Like, you know, so that means that if I am an American cook, 
or you know at least you know train in America and I'm using an American ingredients and I have an American restaurant well that, that makes me an American cook and why shouldn't I be proud of that why should I be constantly looking into French food or Italian food or new Nordic food why not just say hey you know what this is what I produce and I'm extremely proud of it let's talk about Isa for a second just because Ignacio wasn't American sure. came here and was put in a space that was in Brooklyn and produced something that was so personal, you know, so, so wrought with identity. Um, how was that experience cooking with Ignacio being in a place like Isa that you can actually, you know, manipulate food as if it was yours? I feel that, um, you know, we were part of sort of the opening, uh, in the beginning of Isa and, we all would sit around after service at a table and ask ourselves, like, you know, what are we doing? What what is what kind of food are we making? Like, we it was an exploration more than anything. It was us trying not to attach ourselves to an identity or something or emulate something that we had seen or had before, but instead, like, really looking within ourselves and like. And trying to express that. And I think in that way, it was really personal for all of us. Like, you know, like, I had never, you know, I but prior to that, I had been at, you know, Roberta's here. Um, and that was my first job when I got back from Europe. And I wasn't even sure what I was going to make. And I think that uh, when I was at ISA, I'm speaking for myself, um, that it really allowed me to look inside myself and, and try to explore the way that I felt about food. Well, we ask ourselves, like, specifically, you know, me being Ignacio Suchef, like, constantly we were, like, we were never, ever trying to do something weird or different. We were just thinking about food on a very pragmatic way and just looking at an ingredient and how can we showcase it, you know, that being meat or vegetable or, or whatever that be. And, uh, and we found ourselves constantly asking, why not? You know, so, so this is the way I've been told to glaze a vegetable. And, and what about doing it? What about not glazing it? What about burning it? And then making a ragu out of it. And, you know, why not serve raw rams or raw this or uncooked that? And it wasn't a matter of, like, being um, different. It was a matter of why not. And when we couldn't answer that basic question, why not? Then we just went ahead, and then the second the second premise was, well, as long as it tastes good, then it should be just fine. And and that process of thought, like, I feel like it freed Pam and I um, of of a lot of attachments, and also a lot of protocol, because Whirly Bird. <laughs> I love Whirly Bird, <laughs> but I mean, how the heck did you find a space like that and? Turn a breakfast taco into Shea Jose. <laughs> well, Whirly Bird was our coffee stop every single day on our way to Isa. Yeah, around that um, on our way to Isa. <laughs> we we liked it because it's still a neighbor. It's a very neighborhood place. It's I mean, Williamsburg is probably the most densely popu- uh, populated uh, neighborhood with coffee shops. And this one was really personal. I mean, it was one guy's project who is a musician, and he's just 
you know, there was a lot of personality in the space. And so we were drawn to it immediately, and we became quite uh, close friends with him. And, you know, things were up and down at East all the time, and we were always sort of, like, talking to him. And one day we sort of hatched the idea of using his space at night. Um, well, like like Pam said, you know, we th and this is something that we develop in Europe, or at least we got in contact with. It was building those personal relations, and and one day we're talking with with Jeff, the owner of the Whirly Bird, and we're like, you know, so we have this idea of doing these menus and you know creating sort of like a personal experience, you know, where we are going to be able to like talk to people and whatnot, and and you know just just bring that whole circle back together and. And he's like, so, so why you guys don't do it here, man? <laughs> and I was like, fuck. Uh, well, let me talk to Pam, and then we'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think pop up gets a bad rap. The the word, and you mentioned project. Like Shea Jose yeah. is a project, and I think that's a much better way to think about something like this. You know, it, there's no finality to it. There's it, it like Isa is a bridge somewhere else, and it's such an amazing project that. It just needed to be housed somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, like I like I said, like pop up. Everyone has a pop up these days, and it's not just about you know jumping on the bandwagon. But for us, this is an exploration. You know, it's a continuation of a thought that began somewhere and is going who knows where, and we're okay with that. And as long as we're growing, we're learning, we're having fun with it, we're expressing ourselves. Like those are the things that are important to us. We're not saying okay this is we're doing this to have this we're not doing this as a means to have a restaurant necessarily like, this is a project we're involved in it right now who knows what's going to happen that's what it is to well me. The, yeah ab ab absolutely the 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 most beautiful thing about it is that you know we never expected this to be happening a year after it was more like an impulse and and something that we really wanted to do and And all of a sudden, like, it's been a year, and, and, and we love what we're doing, and we're learning a lot, which is, I think, the most important thing for Pam and I when we're doing the, this project. So let's talk about a couple other projects, too, because, again, this is all exploration. I know, Pam, you're a bread baker, <laughs> and Jose, you're doing pig roasts on Sundays yet again. Tell me about those two things and how those are extensions of you and what you do. Well, I think... And this is this is you know a conversation that I that I had with Ignacio way back and 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 it's a, you know it's conversations that that go back to like even when I did theater like when I was like a kid you know high school and early college and and for me like on the creative process like it's really important to create dissonance I I believe that that when we get so centered in what we're doing. We, we come up with amazing ideas, we come up with great things, but when you force the brain to roast 100-pound pigs on Sundays and then the rest of the week you're doing, like, foo-foo, tiny little vegetable bites, you know, like, I, I think it exercises the brain beautifully, you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, although I love cooking vegetables, I also make, miss cooking meat, and, and that's pretty much the main reason. And then the second reason is because as Puerto Rican as I am, like, I grew up doing this stuff. I grew up going to pig roast, and it was something that, that I wanted to sort of bring to the south side. There's a lot of Puerto Ricans over there. In fact, like, the, the, the first season last year when we did pig roast, I think I met more Puerto Ricans than I ever met in the whole seven years that I've been living in New York, you know? Um, for me, I mean, I'm sort of an accidental bread baker. I 
I've always loved bread, and I've always wanted to bake bread, but I found myself, you know, in a pastry kitchen, not, you know, a bakery. Um, so I've always sort of dallied with it at home, and at Isa was the first time when I had the opportunity to really uh, bake bread as part of, like, the restaurant's program. Um, we had a wood-burning oven, and um, I was lucky enough to have uh, to work a little bit with Chad Robertson from Tartine, who is an incredible person and an incredible baker. Um, and he, I mean, it just, I fell in love again with bread. Um, and I, after Isa ended, I, I knew that I had to bake bread every day, or at least I need, I needed to bake bread. I need it in my life. Um, and a lot of people started asking me, Hey, you know, you know, can you bake bread for me? Or can you come to my restaurant and show me how to bake bread? And, you know, I still consider myself a student, you know. Um, so I decided to put together a small CSA and, you know, or CSB, Community Supported bake, Baking or uh, something like that. And it's based, it's based on the model of the agricultural CSA where you are a member and you pay up front and then you have a weekly delivery of, you know, vegetables. But in this case, um, it's a weekly delivery of bread. I also provided the option of, an additional uh, add-on of butter, jam, or charcuterie from my friend uh, who makes charcuterie. So I just, again, this was a project, an experiment, just to see how it would go. And actually, I got a great response. I had um, about 30 people in my CSA, um, and I knew all of them by name. I had a personal relationship with all of them. I spoke to them every week. It was It was awesome. Um, so, you know, maybe it's something I'll do again in the future, but, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have, um, usage of some friends' ovens, um, but I, you know, it's difficult to, you know, being, not, not having a place to call home. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. It feels like you two are trying to find your home, um, sure. be it Shea Jose, be it whatever it may be. Um, but I know you're reading Alan Scott's Bread Builders, and the the core thing about that book is that bread was once a very communal thing. Exactly. You know, and the oven was a hearth, and people, you know, all, all the different patterns on the bread were related back to each house, so people would mix up their breads. But you went there, you met people, you had relationships. Sure. I love that idea, actually. Like, um, when we were living in Europe, we had the opportunity to travel to Morocco uh, for a week. And they have communal ovens there where basically, you know, like you were saying, like people prepare their bread at home. They bring it to the oven. It's marked with their name. The the bakers bake it off and they pick it up later in the day. And that idea to me is amazing. Like if something like that existed in the States, you know, like I'm not sure exactly how it would work, but I've toyed with the idea. I've toyed with having that idea in New York, like sort of an oven as the basis of community. I mean, that's how... Early civilizations always had it. And also, you know, the beginning of that book, Bread Builders, talks about, you know, trading bread for different services. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like a commercial thing. It wasn't like building a business about it. It was just about going about your everyday life and and having it as a part of your life. Well, we're all very excited about number two, the create and follow, you know, your own train of thought and seeing where the two of you you know, venture forth. Um, how do people get in touch with you for Shea Jose? Uh, just email us at BK at gmail.com for um, reservations or requests or love letters. 
<laughs> well, I'll send you my love letter soon. Thank you again, Pam Jose. Thank you for having me. And looking us. forward to my next Shay Jose. Thank you. Excellent. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.